I prayed for him, but let me just give you a brief word of introduction. Uh, so we're so um, privileged today to have preaching for us Omar Ortiz, a teaching elder in our denomination. Uh, Omar and his family moved three years ago? Is that two? Just over two years ago, came from Florida um, to come to this position that um, Omar has taken at Christ the King as the um, director of leadership development. And so uh, we're really grateful, Omar, for you uh, coming to proclaim God's word to us this morning. Good morning. Am I on? Am I good? Well, I want to thank you, Matthew, uh, and the elders for the opportunity to uh, be here with you all this morning and uh, preach God's word. I was really pleasantly surprised when I was looking over your list of uh, missionaries that you support uh, because I attend Christ the King Dorchester. Uh, and so thank you for your uh, support of, of that congregation and uh, ministry that it's having in Dorchester. Uh, I was also surprised uh, that you pray this morning for the Pan-African American Christian surgeons because a dear friend of mine and his wife are raising support right now uh, to go to Ethiopia. He's a surgeon, uh, so it was uh, really nice uh, to have those connections with you this morning. Uh, my voice is feeling a little frail, but uh, so pray for me as I pray for us as we go into uh, our time together. Let's pray. <clears throat> Gracious Father, we uh, thank you for the opportunity that you give us to uh, come to this passage of Scripture. Uh, Lord, we believe that this is your word and that uh, because it is your word that it has something to say to us today, uh, many, many, many years after it was first written. Uh, and so, Lord, we ask that as we spend time looking at this passage this morning, as we look at uh, the words here of this psalm, of David, that you would please allow us to understand you better, uh, to understand your, uh, your, your, uh, the, the breadth and beauty and benefit of the knowledge that you have of us in a way that really will transform our hearts and help us to worship you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, so here's our passage. It's uh, Psalm 139. The title is To the Choir Master, a Psalm of David. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, you know it. Behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before you have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where, where shall I flee from your presence? If I uh, ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand will guide me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely... The darkness will cover me, and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you, and the night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you form my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. 
My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I were to count them, uh, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. The word of the Lord. So uh, the, the, the teaching, the central point of this psalm is something that maybe for some of us will be old hands, something that we are probably already familiar with. It might be tempting for us even to say, well, this is just the, the basic stuff, the 101 teaching of uh, Christianity. Some of us, however, might come to this passage and what we'll see will maybe be a little unsettling, maybe perhaps something new that we've never thought of uh, in quite uh, this way before. What I want us to see from this passage, what I think is David's central concern as he is writing the psalm, is this, that the Lord knows you. He knows us. That Yahweh, the God of heaven and earth, knows you and knows me in this, in this perfect and personal way. And that the breadth of God's knowledge, when we see it appropriately, the breadth of God's knowledge for us will be beautiful for us to understand and to see. And that when we see both its breadth and its beauty, that then we come to understand the benefit that it can have for us. And those are the three points that we're going to look at today. We're going to first look at the breadth of God's knowledge. That'll be the longest part of the sermon. Uh, and then we're going to, so, so hang on because you're going to think, my goodness, he spent most of this time on, on point number one. It'll be all right. I know there's a congregational meeting after the service. And then the second point is the beauty of God's knowledge. And then the last point is the benefit of God's knowledge. Now, as we jump into the first point, that we need to have a little orientation for some really important terms that I'm going to use, uh, terms that may or may not be new to you. Uh, when, we, when we think of who God is and how, oh, thank you very much. When we think of who God is and of how God is different than the gods of Roman or Greek mythology, right? When we think of him, we, we turn to uh, make a distinction with certain attributes that God has that, that he and only he has. Three of those have this really cool little word, omni, in front of them, right? So we talk of God's omniscience. Uh, does anyone know what omniscience means? That God is all, all no, man, this is awesome. This is going to be great. God is all-knowing, right? When we then, so, so what we say is that, that God isn't this really smart computer that can compute things really, really fast and figure out algebra, algebraic equations really fast. He just simply knows. He knows every digit of pi. Uh, he knows every hair on your head. He doesn't have to count them. He just, he knows them, right? We also think of God's, not only his omniscience, but we also think of God's omnipotence. And that means that he's all, 
right? There's nothing that God is incapable of doing. And then finally, we have not only his omniscience and his omnipotence, but we also speak in terms of his omnipresence. It means he is everywhere, right? So there's no place in creation where God can't be found. Now, important for us to, to make a distinction. We are not saying that God is in the chair, right? We're not saying that the chair is God. When we speak of omnipresence, what we're simply saying is there's no place in all of creation where God's presence isn't found, all right? So these terms are going to be important because this is the theology that David is giving us as we come to Psalm 139, and we begin to understand this, this perfect and personal knowledge that God has for us. Now, I want you to think of a close relationship that you have. Maybe it's a parent-child relationship. Maybe it's a husband-wife relationship. Maybe it's a brother-sister relationship. Maybe it's a close friend, best friend. Uh, even in the most intimate of relationships that we can have as human beings, there's always the element of surprise. There's always that moment where the person that you think you know really well does something or says something, and you think to yourself, huh, I didn't see that coming. Right? There's always that element of surprise. So no matter how perfectly we know someone, we don't know them absolutely perfectly. because There's always that element of surprise. And no matter how personally, uh, excuse me, how, uh, reset, uh, and then there's also the difference of knowing a lot of things about an individual, right? Uh, how many of you shop on Amazon.com? It's okay. There's no judgment. There's no judgment. How many of us have a Facebook account, right? You know, Facebook and Amazon know an awful lot about us, don't they? I was just updating the, my, I had to redo my iPhone, and I was updating my iPhone app, and I, and I had to put Facebook because I've got to keep up with some conversations that are happening on Facebook. And all of a sudden, my Facebook app says, hey, is this you? And some random picture that somebody on Facebook posted had me in it, and Facebook is like, hey, this looks like you. Would you like to tag yourself in this picture? I'm like, oh, Facebook, Amazon, they know a lot of things about me. They know the, uh, Amazon knows the products I buy, the books I read. But it's not a personal knowledge, right? They, they don't know me. They might know the things I shop for. They might know the places I've been, but they don't know me as a person. God's knowledge of us is perfect and personal. And now we're ready to jump in and see why God's knowledge of us is both perfect and personal. Let's see, first of all, that God knows our thoughts. We see this in verses 2 through 5. Look at the words that, that David uses here. You know, you search, you are acquainted, you discern. Before his word is on my tongue, you know it completely. This is God's omniscience. This is the fact that God knows all things. Right? He knows our hopes. He knows our fears. He knows the things that keep us up at night. He, he knows what we're going to say before we even say it. Before the, the words are formed on our mouth, that's how intimate his knowledge of you is. He knows your thoughts, your dreams, your hopes, your fears. And then David adds, we go to verses 7 to 12. He says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to Sheol, you are there. If I go to, to the, which way is east from here? 
which let's say east is that way. So if I go to the, you know, east is he's point. If I go to the furthest point east, if I go to the furthest point west, if I go to the darkest place. Now what's happening here is actually really fascinating. So uh, in order for us to really appreciate it, we need to almost, as it were, pretend we're sitting next to David as he's penning this psalm, right? As, as David is writing the psalm, let's put ourselves next to him. And the first thing that we need to understand is that in David's world, their, their understanding of how the cosmos, the universe was held together, how the earth functioned, they believed that there was the, the heavens above the earth, right? Then there was the earth, and then there was Sheol that was underneath the earth. And that's how they spoke of creation. And so what David is saying is if I go to the heavens, that is if I go to the place above the earth, right, where the Lord is said to reside. If I go there, you're there. But equally, if I go to Sheol, if I go to the place beneath creation, the place under the earth, you're there as well. Now, the, the inference that we're supposed to make, right, is not just that God is above the earth and under the earth and then not in the earth, right? The point that we have to make is that there's no place from the height to the depth of creation, where God cannot be found. Now, every time I think about this, you know, I, I, uh, I love music, and I think of that song, ain't no mountain high enough, ain't no valley low enough, ain't no river wide enough to keep me from getting to you. Now, Marvin Gaye's talking, he's not talking about Jesus, right? But, but, but it's true of who the Lord is. So on the vertical axis of reality, there's no place that we can hide from God. Now, remember, we're sitting next to David. David is writing the psalm, and, and he says, if I rise with the wings of the morning, now, uh, where does the sun rise? The sun rises in the east, right? And then he says, if I settle on the far side of the sea. Now, remember, we're sitting next to David. What's to the west of David? The Mediterranean, right? And then beyond the Mediterranean, so David was a king. He was a, an influential guy. Trading was going on. The Phoenicians were a seafaring people, and the Israelites traded with the Phoenicians often. So even if Israelite ships hadn't gone to the edge of the Mediterranean, certainly David, being a king, would have known that on the other end of what we now call the, you know, Gibraltar, the Rock of Gibraltar, is what? The Atlantic Ocean. So as far as David knows, right, all there is is water. So what's he saying? If I go to the east where the sun rises, if I go out to the end of the sea west, you're there. So not only is there no place on the vertical axis of creation where God can't be found, there's no place on the horizontal axis of creation where God cannot be found. And as if that's not cool enough, what does he say then? He says, even the darkness, even the darkness cannot hide me, for darkness is as light to you. Now think about this. So, so think about in David's day, right, no electricity. So when it's dark, it's dark, right? The candle gets blown out. There's no light. And so imagine the darkness. Maybe, I don't know, up here in Concord, you're not, you don't have as much light pollution as we do down in Boston. Uh, but... Uh, there are very few times in my life where I can say that I've been somewhere where it's truly dark, where I can put my hand in front of me and I cannot see, and it's disorienting. 
Uh, at least for me, it's a disorienting feeling. And David says, it doesn't matter. I can go to the darkest cave, and even there, Jesus doesn't need night vision goggles. God doesn't need night vision goggles, right? He can see me as clear as day. So God knows our paths. He knows where we are. There's probably no better illustration of this than the prophet Jonah in the Old Testament. Are you familiar with the prophet Jonah story, right? Prophet Jonah is told to go to, to Nineveh. He doesn't want to go to Nineveh. And so he goes, instead of going east, he goes west, thinking, ah, I can get away from God if I go west. I can go away from God if I go into the dark belly of a ship. I can get away from God if I go into the, into the dark waters of the ocean. I can get away from God if I go into the dark belly of a fish. And where is it that God finds him? In the depths of the depths of the depths is where God finds him. There's no place that we can go to hide from God. So God knows our thoughts. We see that in verses 2 to 5. God knows our paths. We see that in uh, verses 7 to 12. And now we see that God knows our frame. He knows our frame. Listen when he says, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know this full well. So God is omniscient. He knows our thoughts. God is omnipresent. He knows our paths. There's nowhere we can go from him. God is omnipotent. He's the creator. And think about this. What David is saying is that, is that, that the Lord knows the stitches that hold you together. Now, I am not, I don't know how to knit. I don't know how to sew. I don't know how to crochet. But I've watched people do these things, right? And, and as I've watched, uh, mostly women, but not all women, but as I've watched men and women that I know that knit or crochet or sew, the thing that has always struck me is the great attention to detail that they give, right? The, the great focus that you have to have and that, that certain movements of the needles or the, or the knitting is needles and crochet is hooks. Am I remembering? Yes, thank you. Uh, that the, the certain movements of those instruments can do radically different things and that, that there are certain patterns and rhythms, right? The Lord has knit you and me. He has crocheted you and me in such a way that it is beautiful to behold and that he has done that expertly. Now that is a that's an amazing thing to think about, that he has done expert care in bringing us together. So you see, the, the breadth of God's knowledge for us is really this amazing. He knows our thoughts and our paths and our frame. He knows us intimately. And so you understand the implication and the application of this, right? That as we go through life, whether we, we think in terms of maybe the different seasons that we go through. So you're in school and you're thinking about college or you're in college and you're thinking about your career or you're in your career and you're thinking about transitioning into a different career or you think you're single and you're thinking about marriage, you're married and you're having kids or, you're, or you've become widowed. Right? Whatever transition you find yourself in, whatever season of life you find yourself in, God knows you. He's with you. There is no place that you can hide from him. There is no place that you can go where he's not going to see you and know you and care for you. 
And the amazing thing of it, the amazing thing of it is that this isn't just true of us as individuals, it's also true of us as communities. And so I can't help but think for you, what does that mean for you as a church? You're going to have a congregational meeting this afternoon. And in this congregational meeting, you're going to be talking about facilities. Do you understand that the Lord knows you in that? He, he knows what is going to happen. He knows the outcome, and he is with you in the outcome of whatever happens, not only in this congregational meeting today, but, but what will eventually be a permanent home for you. He knows you. He cares for you. He loves you. That's the breadth of God's knowledge. Now, move on to the second point. And in the second point, we see the beauty of God's knowledge. Now, here's the reality. I'm, I'm sober enough to realize that perhaps some of us hear that God knows us this well and are thinking to ourselves, that's not beautiful. That's frightening. I get that. I, I feel that way too. There's a story, a series of novels that are written for upper elementary age kids called The 100 Cupboard Series is by an author named N.D. Wilson. And, and uh, the second volume in that series, uh, towards the beginning of the book, we're introduced to uh, one of the villains of the story. His name is Darius. Darius is this uh, really cool bad guy. He's got armor. He's got a sword. He's got a cape. Because let's face it, every bad guy worth his salt has to have a cape, right? Think Darth Vader. Um, <clears throat> and so uh, he's, he's, he's this guy that you're supposed to be afraid of. And we're set up for him. Well, later on in the story, he is trying to find this sorceress who's coming back to power. And as she's coming back to power, he wants to, to uh, align himself with her. He wants to be in, in, in uh, power with her because he knows that if she wins, he's going to have a really great position. Well, there's this moment where, uh, her name's Nimian, and there's this moment where Darius sees this, this vision of Nimian. And what uh, the author says is that, that Darius was filled with fear. He was terrified. Because he was afraid of what Nimian would find in his heart. And I wonder if sometimes when we think about the breadth of God's knowledge and we see just how all-encompassing his knowledge of us is, if we are not like Darius, that we are filled with fear about what it is that God might find. And so how is it that David, how is it that David is able to come to this moment of saying, what does he say? I mean, it's really fascinating what he says. He says in verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high, I cannot attain it. And then he says in verse 17, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God, how vast is the sum of them. Here's the reality. David, David had plenty to hide from God. I mean, we don't know at what point in David's life he writes these words. But if we look at the scope of David's life, I mean, there are plenty of things that David would have said, yeah, I really don't want God to know these things too intimately. But the reality is that as understandable as it might be for you and me to say, I don't think I like this idea that God knows me this well, we also have to understand that that's not how we were made to be. That as God knitted us together, as he crocheted 
our fabric of our being together, that he made us in such a way that we need to know him. It's not just that God wants knows us. This is where we're going to go in a minute, in the third point, but it's that we, we're called to know him. And so what is it that David has discovered that allows him to see this all-encompassing knowledge, this both deeply perfect and personal knowledge that God has of him, what leads David to see that as beautiful and not terrifying? Well, I think part of the answer is found in verse 17. Notice what David says. He says, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Now, what's fascinating about that word thought is that uh, several commentators have pointed out that that word thought is, is actually closely related to the idea of friendship. And so what I think is happening here is this. I think that David has come to understand that, that God cares for him as a friend. And that that's why this knowledge is beautiful to behold. Now, now the idea of God as a friend, it's a theme that runs throughout the Bible, but we only see it a few times. It only pops up three times that, I can, that I've been able to find. The first time, and this is chronological order, not in order that they show up in the Bible. Uh, the, the first person, and this is in James 2, uh, but it's the first person that's referred to as a friend of God is Abraham. Uh, James 2 refers to Abraham as a friend of God. And then after that, in the book of Exodus chapter 33, we're told that Moses spoke with, or rather that God spoke with Moses as a man speaks to his friend. And then that this idea of God as a friend of people lies, it's there, but it just lies dormant until we get to Jesus. And if you recall, Jesus in the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 15, looks at his disciples and he says to his disciples that you are my friends. Now, one commentator speaking specifically to that John 15 passage gives us a warning. It's an important warning for us to, to heed. He says that, that when we think of God as a friend, we can't have this picture, right, of a buddy-buddy of a relationship, of a peer relationship like my pal. Uh, but rather, when we speak of God as a friend, what we need to understand is that, that it is really someone who has your best interest at heart, someone who cares for you, and so David, what David has discovered is that God's knowledge, right, his, his knowledge of our thoughts, his knowledge of our paths, his knowledge of our frame, to use theological language, that God's omnipresence, omniscience, omnipotence, as it comes to relate to us as individuals and us as a community, that that knowledge can be the knowledge of one who has best interest at heart, who is seeking your good through his glory. So that it's not like that sorceress, right, in the children's story, who knows you, who's trying to get to know you in order to harm you, but someone who knows you and is seeking to know you in order to bless you. So what have we seen so far? On our first point, we saw the breadth of God's knowledge of us. And in seeing the breadth of God's knowledge, we, we looked at uh, the fact that he knows our thoughts, he knows our paths, and he knows our frame. God's knowledge of us is both 
perfect and personal. And then in our second point, we consider the beauty. Far from being something that should terrify us, seeing God, or excuse me, understanding that God's love for us is, or knowledge of us is the knowledge of a friend, can make that knowledge a beautiful thing. But how do we benefit from that? And this leads us to our last point. What's really interesting to me as I consider this psalm and as I've studied this psalm is that David closes the psalm in this really rather curious way. Let's read it again. This is verse 23. Notice what David says. He says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Now, the strange thing to me about this is that David has just spent the better part of Psalm 139 talking about the fact that God knows him perfectly. And so why on earth would David, after he's just spent all of this ink talking about how perfectly God knows him, why would he then go on to say, search me? I mean, don't you presume that David by this point thinks that God has done the searching, that the searching is over? There's no more to be known, right? You know everything, so what do you need to search? I don't need to go search for my keys if I know where my keys are. So what's David getting at? Well, I think what David is getting at is, is really found really in the very next part. See if there be any grievous way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. What David is saying is this. He says... I need you to help me know you the way you know me. See, this is the beauty. This is the beauty of the gospel. The gospel doesn't, isn't simply telling us, hey, God knows you. He knows everything about you. You can't get away from him. You can't hide from him. So good luck. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that, that God knows you, that he created us to know uh, he created us in such a way that we would also know him. Right? But, but this crazy thing happens at the beginning of creation where mankind chooses not to know him. They choose to reject the knowledge of him. And all of the rest of the biblical story is all about how God is pursuing, 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 and helping people to understand how they can know him better. And here we come to Psalm 139, and we see David saying, God knows us. He knows us in this really beautiful and perfect way. But it isn't until we come to the pages of the New Testament and we come to the person of Jesus that we begin to understand how God is finally going to resolve our ability to know him. And that's through Jesus. You see, God knows us, and this isn't just this esoteric knowledge, this isn't just hypothetical knowledge, right? Part of the reason why God knows us so well is because he became one of us in Jesus Christ. And then Jesus came and lived and did everything that we couldn't do and died in our place so that we might be able to know him. So that we could say with David, search me, know me, see if there's anything offensive in me and trust that as he searches and as he exposes and as he points to our hearts and says, oh, there's this, there's that, that it will be for our good. Because he loves us. And that's how we know that we can, we can be, uh, see 
the, the, the breath of God's knowledge as something beneficial because we look at God and we understand who he is through the person of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, that God sent him uh, in order for us to be reconciled to him. God wasn't satisfied with simply knowing us. He wants us to know him. So how do we do that? How do we know him? There's lots of ways that we can draw application here. I want to just do two. The first uh, is that there are uh, presumably, perhaps, some of us here today who uh, haven't yet come to a place where we understand who Jesus really is. Uh, and even here, as we spent a lot of time talking about God and, and here at the end kind of bringing it into connected to Jesus, that really understanding that, it's, that Jesus is the central person that we talk about uh, in, uh, in this church and in other churches like, like Redeemer, right? Churches that are focusing on proclaiming who Jesus is. And so if you're here today and you've never uh, put your faith, put your trust, your confidence in Jesus and allowed Jesus to be the one that shapes your knowledge of God, the first point of application is this, to put your faith in him. Uh, and, and any of the elders that were here earlier, uh, Pastor Matthew, any of these men, uh, and I'm sure there are lots of men and women here who would be more than happy uh, to have that conversation with you. If that's, if that's the way that this knowing God needs to be applied to your life. Uh, for the rest of us, knowing God means pursuing God through his word. Pursuing God through his word in community with one another, right? Whether it's worship like this, whether it's in Bible studies. I mean, I see from your, from your bulletin, there's lots of opportunities that you guys have to be engaging with God's word. Whether it's in community or by yourself. Some form of knowing God through his word, through discipleship. So important, so key, right? Because that is, we believe that is how part of the way that God searches us is we read his word. And as we read his word, we believe that his word is alive, right? And that because it is uh, um, able to expose, as we read it, is able to expose uh, unbelief and sin and ways in which we, we don't know God for who he really is, ways in which we have formed God into our image and made him to fit into our boxes. And so those are two uh, really sim simple but yet so important ways. Remember we said it's, at the, at the beginning, this, I'm, I'm not teaching you. I don't think I'm saying anything new this morning. But if you're anything like me, I forget this. I live my life as if it's not true. And so I need to be reminded, and if you're anything like me, we need to be reminded that God knows us, that his knowledge of us is expansive. It is perfect and personal and the breadth of God's knowledge, when we properly understand it and we see who God is, will be both beautiful and bring us great benefit. Not just benefit in some generic way, but the benefit of knowing him through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we ask that you would please help us uh, this, this uh, morning, this afternoon. Um, as we consider what it is that you uh, have said to us through your word, that you would help us not just to know that you know us, but that you would help us
to know you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.